As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's episode of On The Continent. My name's Luke Moore. And my name's Andy Brassel. Andy, how are you today? You keeping well? It's another beautiful uh, morning in South London. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Luke. I was worried I sounded a little bit Timmy Mallet in that intro, although not to not Mr. Mallet himself, because not only is he a big football fan, he's a big Oxford United fan, isn't he? But I think he's offered a lot from beyond his generation. My kids have got into Mallet's Mallet recently. Have they really? I was about to say, where do you want it? On me chin. And the reference to his plaster from the game Mallet's Mallet. And I thought, no one's going to get that. But if you're telling me a whole generation of young kids are now watching it again, then I'm going to stick with it. Well, I don't know if it's a whole generation of young kids. Certainly my children on YouTube, when we discussed doing it with a cushion, and I wasn't sure whether to show them, you know, the version where he uses the mallet on their heads or in the end it was commuted to, he used this this little thing like a a sort of scale where he bashed the mallet off that because like kids presumably in South London where we are now were going around bashing each other on the head with hammers. Oh, we certainly we were certainly doing that with our hands as kids uh, hit, hitting each other over the head um, and apparently that's not the done thing these days. All right, well listen, um, a mallet's mallet starts on the continent, which I didn't expect, but that's the beauty of, uh, <laughs> of doing these shows. You never know where it's going to go. Um, I've got a couple of pieces of housekeeping, a couple of pieces of admin before we get stuck into the show proper, so I'm going to do those now. Uh, over on our Patreon, there have been no fewer than seven, count them, seven pieces of Patreon-exclusive content since the start of this month alone, including the first part of our 21st century Premier League 11, a couple of mailbag episodes, and a speller time video. You can get access to all that and a lot more for just $10 a month. There's a $5 tier as well. And keep checking back because we're adding new content and new benefits all the time. It's patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily, and we would appreciate the support. So that's patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Okay, this week also, yesterday, Andy, uh, you interviewed Marcus Mumford. From Mumford and Sons, fellow AFC Wimbledon fan for this week's Ramble Meets. I did. And, uh, you know, obviously he's a great guy being um, an AFC Wimbledon fan, but there's there's <laughs> a lot more uh, to it than than that. 
actually, because mm. um, he's someone who does brilliant work for uh, War Child. Um, he's does, done great work for um, the families and, and, and victims from Grenfell as well. He, he lived just up the road when um, the, the Grenfell Tower disaster happened. Um, so he's, he's a really, really interesting guy. He also, having done a cover of uh, You'll Never Walk Alone, um, the proceeds of which are to be split between Warchild and, and, and Grenfell. We talked a bit about what makes it such an amazing football song because I can't think of another song that's so vivid in football like You'll Never Walk Alone because it's not just Liverpool, is it? It's, it's Dortmund, it's all sorts of other places. Mm. Absolutely. Well, listen, it's a brilliant listener. If people haven't checked it out yet, um, do go back and get it. It's uh, yesterday at time of recording. It's a Wednesday's um, episode of Ramble Meets. Of course, Jules and Andy was the day before that, uh, which is also a great show, even though, if I say so myself. And the, the usual Monday uh, show is out as well. And then tomorrow we've got the previous show. So there's plenty to get stuck in onto on Football Ramble Daily. Let's keep it locked on Football Ramble Daily. Get subscribing uh, if you're not already. Tell all your friends. Uh, and, and yeah, do, do listen as much as you can. Okay. Okay, let's get into the show proper. I want to start um, by looking at the current shit show, and it is a shit show, at Barcelona. Um, Josep Maria Bartomeu has served as president at the club since 2014, uh, but in recent years has been embroiled in several controversies, most recently allegedly employing a social media and PR agency to clean his image to the detriment of other high-profile people at the club, and has also seen Six officials uh, resign in protest at how the club is being run. Now, there is now certain to be a legal battle after Emile Rousseau accused people. So Emile Rousseau was a previous, was a director at the club, Andy, is that correct? Uh, yeah, vice president of finance. Vice president, that's it. So he's accused in a radio interview in Spain of people at Barcelona, in quotes, having their hands in the till. And then he doubled down on that in a statement released earlier this week, vowing to defend himself against legal action and prove the allegations. Now, and it's all a gigantic mess, and our prediction of decision-makers disgracing themselves to fill the news gap in football's absence has turned out to be quite prescient so far, hasn't it? <laughs> it certainly has. And, um, you know, this has been bubbling for a while because, uh, lest we forget, if we go back to the start, like, say, three weeks ago, Barcelona were one of the first squads to accept a wage cut and a very substantial yeah wage cut of that. I guess one I've seen, I think. Well, it's, it's been it's been reported as 70%. It's actually with an extra optional bit that the players have, have given to make sure that the, the, the non-playing staff are okay. I think it equates to 72%. Um, so we're talking about an absolutely enormous wage cut for, for anyone. I don't care how much you earn that. That is, that is a massive wage cut. And um, yeah, the, the, the world was sort of poisoned at that moment, wasn't it? Because... Um, Messi was coming out and say that, saying that the club had, had handled it very badly. And obviously there's been talk all over football about players wanting to sort things out on their own terms, not just for tax purposes, because they still want tax to go to public services, which are under great pressure at the, at the, at the moment. But they want to know where the money is going. I, I think in some cases, it's that those players don't really trust the club. I think in the case of Barcelona, it's definitely that they don't trust the club because um, the Barcelona players and fans, uh, match-going fans, and um, I think especially Messi's dissatisfaction with the way the club has been run has, has been very, very clear for a long time now. And um, 
The interesting thing that I haven't really seen widely reported is in the aftermath of that big wage cut. This is before we get to the to the Russo and the 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 um, the, the six uh, board members leaving bit. Is the fact that um, a union of um, Barcelona employees, so non-playing staff, had come out and said after this wage cut had been affected to presumably or, or to, to hopefully um, protect their futures and protect their their salaries they come out and said well we've not heard anything from the club so we don't really know what's going on and this is another mm. thing which reflects absolutely terribly on Bartomeu now I think when you put it in comparison to that this bit about Bartomeu which Russo is talking about the paying of this company, um, this digital company, 13 Ventures, to um, basically um, look after his image. There's no denial that he's done that, but there are are two key areas of debate. One, that basically he paid this company to have these burner accounts where they'd they'd basically uh, rip opponents of Bartomeu, including some players and their their families, which is obviously a very serious allegation. And the second part is what Rousseau himself brought up, this um, uh, accusation of um, people having their hands in the till. So suggesting that Bartomeu or people working on his behalf had basically got the 900,000 euros that they paid this company and put them through three different financial cycles to sort of bury the fact that they'd spent the club's money on it. And this is the point at which the club are taking legal action. Now, the, the sort of uh, the wheels of soft power have already started chugging on Bartomeu's behalf because there have been a couple of reports in the last day in the Catalan press that have, have said, um, well, Russo was actually planning to strengthen his power base to um, suspend four board members without pay and, and and basically just just get rid of them without mm. without without compensating them to sort of shore things up. So it's it's clear that Bartomeu is, and this is a very a thing we see very frequently in in the Spanish newspapers um, and, and media. Um, the president will get their side of the story out through leaks and i suppose that's not particularly uncommon when it comes to governmental matters isn't it in in, mm. in the uk that's that's the that's the way things happen um but it's clear that bartomeu is is fighting for his presidential life here and like he was meant to be after the sandro or um presidency he was meant to be the safe pair of hands to sort of move barcelona away from scandal and <clears throat> financial intrigue and all that well, that's that, that that's has not happened done. that has not happened <laughs> this, mean, but, but this is the safe pair of hands imagine if they'd gone wild and so, yeah. said oh yeah let's let, let's choose someone who's a bit of a card <laughs> no it's good and, and the thing is you know that it's just to pick up on something you said there andy i mean they, they say i suppose for a reason that all political careers end in failure but this this six point um statement that russo gave to i think mundo deportivo um, yeah um, point number one in it is, you know, pretty eye-opening. It's very strongly worded. It says the existence of corruption within the club is evident in the fact that it has already been shown that contracts between related companies, brackets one based in a tax haven that violates the money laundering prevention law, have been paid in instalments in order to avoid internal controls approved 
by the adjudication committee and the board of directors. So, I mean, there are five other points that he goes into, and I won't I won't go through all those. Uh, but but it's pretty heady stuff, and um, I wonder what the um, what the next step's going to be, and and whether we're going to see a long drawn out legal battle here um, to, to 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 kind of resolve this. Well, really, all, all it is about now is. Um Bartomeu's succession because he's only so got would it be until... satisfactory then for people like Rousseau if Bartomeu just just stood down um I, I, I don't know I think do it's here? I think it's gone beyond that I think it's gone beyond okay. that really um because of you know the the amount of mudslinging that's that, that's going on it's, it's it's just escalated beyond all that and of course we've got in the background the fact that Messi could theoretically I don't think he will, but theoretically walk away for, for nothing this summer. And I think that is something that's been in our minds so much because the amount of public dissatisfaction that he showed this summer, which arguably starts with them not going the full way to sign Neymar back last summer, which he desperately wanted and others in the dressing room desperately want as well. But he's manifested just how much he wanted Neymar to, to come back and, he doesn't believe that the club were ever a hundred percent into it in in the way that in the way that Neymar was himself. So, um, but the, you, you know, you've gone through um, Abadell's um, pronouncements over the players' alleged involvement in the in the sacking of Ernesto Valverde, all this other stuff, and Messi has had to put his head up so much. I mean, it's clear that he is the most powerful person at the club, yeah. but and has um, been for some time. Sure, but now. He's like put his head above the parapet and and he's there with his shirt off going, I am the most powerful person at the club. You know what I mean? Because he feels that he has to direct things because there's no real effective leadership at the top. So he feels to get what he wants and to get what he wants, I think, out of the last few years of his career, um, he's he's having to, to get more involved, which I'm sure he doesn't want to do. I mean, if we go back to the further back in Bartomeu's reign. Let's go back to when they originally sold Neymar, for example. That point in 2017, um, Bartomeu is under enormous pressure. Um, Firstly, because um, people within the club and um, people who go to the stadium are both thinking he's completely dropped the ball in not giving Neymar a, a higher buyout clause and a new contract and left us vulnerable to Paris Saint-Germain coming in and, and, and getting him. So that was on him. Um, other poor transfer deals were on him. There was the fact that um, there, there was, of course, this stuff about the Catalan referendum going on at the same time. So a lot of unrest off the pitch in in, in Barcelona itself. And mm. the, the sense certainly from some supporters that um, the, the, the club... Didn't, didn't really fully get it and didn't manifest their position consistently enough with the way Barcelona's history is in terms of defending Catalan nationalism. Um, so there was all this stuff going on. And actually, Ernesto Valverde did a lot to save Bartomeu at that point because they got off to an absolute flyer at the start of that season. Of course, Messi had an enormous involvement in that. And I think you can say especially in the first two seasons, and we've, we've talked about this before on OTC, but on the first two seasons of um, Ernesto Valverde's reign as um, Barcelona coach, you could argue it was best ever Messi. Uh, he was so good, even yeah. by his standards. So the question is, um, is it Messi completely propping up the club ever since then? Or is it 
could we give a little bit of credit to Ernesto Valverde, who created the conditions for Barcelona to win extremely consistently in a La Liga context, at least, and created the conditions for Messi to be the best ever Messi, despite the fact that he'd lost Neymar. And losing Neymar is a massive deal for for Messi. And I think this is recognised in the fact that he wants him to come back because the fact is, again, we've talked about this before, when they brought in, and it seemed contrary to um, a lot of sense in terms of the way they needed to rebuild the the team from back to front in, in many ways, but when they spent so much on Luis Suarez and Neymar, they did that to prolong Messi's career. They did that so these two guys would do the running for him. And, you know, Messi recognised that, I think, and and developed with that. But despite the fact that Neymar, who, you know, people look at him in a certain way because of his level of celebrity, what you can never doubt about Neymar is the fact that he is unbelievably industrious when he is at his best. And he was unbelievably industrious for Barcelona in some massive games and um so for Valverde to create a situation where Messi could thrive maybe more than before if not at least as much as as before without Neymar is something that's very impressive and is worth acknowledging yeah and let's let's move on to the playing um side then and before but before we do do so I should just point out because I'm sure people will be wondering um the next presidential election is due to be um next year it's every six years. Twenty summer twenty twenty one. Yeah, is the next one. Um, Joanne Laporta, who just missed out to Bartomeu in twenty fifteen, has, has, has announced his intention to run. Um, people will remember Joanne Laporta for being the president for the first half of Pep Guardiola's reign at Barca. So he's um, he's done it before. He fancies doing it again. So we're, it remains to be seen what will happen. But next year is when the presidential election is due to be and obviously voted on by members for their next president. Here's the Croatian midfielder, a delicate chip. And from the most unlikely of sources, Ivan Rakitic rockets Barcelona in front. The wonderful pass here from Sergio Roberto. And all the critics now are shut up. Over on the um, playing side, um, Ivan Rakitic has insisted that he's not a sack of potatoes, uh, which is news to anyone who's seen the pace he moves around the pitch these days. Uh, and said, <laughs> is, that, oh, is that unfair, Andy? Is that unfair? Yeah, I think it is unfair, but I, I enjoyed it. Carry okay. on. <laughs> okay, because what happens is I, I'll just give people a little glimpse behind the curtain. I write this running order, and then you go in and check the things that you think are A, unwrong, <laughs> uh, a wrong or B, unfair. And that's been left in, so I thought I had carte blanche to use that. Um, I've lost my libel pen, unfortunately. Okay, okay, all right. Anyway, maybe it is a bit unfair, but anyway, hopefully it's a good enough joke to stay in. Um, and he said, he'll only move to another club where he's wanted and respected. This is in light of talk about him heading to PSG as a mate weight in a prospective deal to re-sign Neymar, something Andy's just been talking about. Uh, Rakitic has been at Barca since 2014, but has recently found opportunities limited since the arrival of uh, new kid on the block, Frankie de Jong. Uh, Rakitic is 32, and it's thought that he favours a move back to Sevilla. Um, I mean, I, I mean, maybe I am being a bit harsh on him, but he's not played as much this season for reasons I've just mentioned. Um, he clearly is surplus to requirements if, if what we're reading is to be believed. Um, how do you think this is going to play out, Andy? I think there are two issues worth noting with Rakitic. Firstly, there's no getting away from the fact that he has been extremely valuable to Barcelona when he's played this season. And that is... A note of the failing, 
not just of what's happened off the pitch, because I think if, if you're being fair to the board, they have tried to bring the average age of the, the, the squad down in the last three or four windows. It's a problem they've acknowledged. But maybe this is an issue with coaching in terms of integrating those new players. Um, but I think if, if you look at the fact that um, Rakitic and Arturo Vidal have, have been important to Barcelona this season and Barcelona have looked better when they've played, that is a huge red flag for their future mm. on the pitch because these are two aging guys who they're, they're, they're trying to move on from. Um, but there's also a recognition that Rakitic is extremely valuable and not just within Barcelona, I think less within Barcelona actually, but Paris Saint-Germain, when we were talking about the Neymar deal earlier, that was the one, Leonardo straight away was, yeah, we'll have him, you know, and and he was happy for him to be rated at, I guess, about 60 million mm. in, in the deal, which shows how much they wanted him. Top European clubs rate him, you know, there's there's no doubt about that. But then you come to the second part of this, the fact that he only has a year left on his contract and he knows where he wants to go. And so Barcelona have been saying, well, we're not going to loan him. Well, obviously they're not going to loan him because they're not going to get nothing for, uh, anything for him. But if he refuses to go to the destinations offered to him and he has a very clear uh, destination in his mind, it seems, which is Sevilla. He wants to go back to Sevilla. He met his wife there or her family's there. He Lovely loved his time. At, he well. loved his Come time on. at the club. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And he loved his time at the club. He's got a good relationship with Monchi. Obviously, there are financial issues. Certainly, his pay and what they would ask. I love. They- I love that. And that comes up all the time. So he favours a move to Sevilla, uh, but he doesn't favour a move to Sevilla quite enough to take the pay cut that would be <laughs> needed to go to Sevilla. So it turns out he doesn't actually love it as much as he says he does. He just wants his own way. Is that fair? he will not accept payment in tapas no. <laughs> especially as it's not free as it is in the uh neighboring province of granada Andy, is seville the place they do the paella with the snails and the rabbit instead of the uh prawns and the chicken i don't think so but maybe, maybe, maybe it does that maybe someone where it is. maybe someone can correct me i don't yeah. think i've ever had rabbit in seville this is turning okay. into a very different sort of show but i i, I think <laughs> the, the 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 problem is is they've they've not locked down the core of the team. And as well, they're having to move on from what, it, you know, some vintage players as well. And I realise, especially with, again, fans globally, Barcelona fans globally, Ivan Rakitic is not massively popular. You cannot deny how important he has been for them. And, you know, you go back to yeah. um, like the, the, the last Champions League win in 2015. He was absolutely integral in that. And the, the fact that on one hand, he's looked upon as well, he's, he's not really a Barcelona player, is he? But that's the point. The fact that he's someone who's been through academies in Switzerland, Germany, played all over the pitch. He's got a really wide palette to his game. He sort of had this sort of finishing school at, at, at Sevilla. The fact that he's got such a, a broad repertoire and that he's not from inside the Barcelona 10, I think is a massive advantage. And Luis Enrique certainly saw that as a massive advantage. Someone who can provide something a little different to, to round the team off. And I think sometimes with Barcelona, there's always this sense of, Oh, they, they play a certain way. It has to be someone who fits with the Barcelona way. But does it? You know, you need something that's a little bit different. You need light and shade, don't you? Uh, I think the other 
problem they've got in, when we're talking about locking things down. The Mark andre Tishtegan thing is a massive big deal. Oh, yeah, that is an interesting point. The, the, the idea that they've offered him a new contract worth about six million quid a year, but some of the reports that are coming out are suggesting that he wants to go to Bayern Munich, which is uh, clearly evidence that he doesn't read any newspapers uh, because they've already <laughs> signed a goalkeeper from Schalke, Alex Neubel, and um, they're in contract negotiations with with, um, with Manuel Neuer, who's really angry at the moment. I think those contract negotiations between Bayern and Neuer, uh, if they go wrong, you might be able to see that from space because he is so angry at the moment. You see, what I thought you were going to suggest is maybe that could be something to fill up the lack of live sport on television at the moment because mm. you, you, might, you might have yeah. seen... Uh, I'd watch it. Well, exactly. You might It'd be have like seen... watching one of those uh, Netflix dramas. Just need to get subtitles on there. <laughs> no, I think all. the facial expressions would say it all. Yeah. But Andy, before you, I just, I, I don't want to sort of go back over old grammar very, very quickly because we we should definitely talk about Testagen. Um, one thing I thought you were going to mention there, Re Rakitic, is that he comes into Barca in what 2014, and Xavi mm. retires around that time, and it's a bit kind. Is it a bit like, oh well, he's not Xavi, so he's going to get he's going to get less praise than perhaps he deserves, or is that wider than the mark? No, I, th- I think that's probably part of it, uh, right, okay. and, and and the fact that you know he's so demonstrably different from Xavi and Iniesta, but yeah. you know he yeah, never anyway. to replace them. All right, anyway, so, t- so could Ter Stegen, um He's due a new contract. He's been offered one. It's a good deal. It's a great deal for a keeper. He is a great goalkeeper anyway. Maybe Ter Stegen thinks that if he goes back to Bayern Munich, he might finally claim that regular place as Germany first choice goalkeeper, which he absolutely deserves. So I do kind of understand it from that point of view. But I mean, it it seems to me, unless there's something I've missed, quite unlikely that he's going to get a gig at Bayern at the moment, doesn't it? I, I think that the Neuer thing is what has put it in people's minds um, because the, the fact is at the moment Neuer and Bayern are absolutely poles apart in terms of the contract negotiations. He's out of contract in uh, 2021. I think part of this goes back to the fact that uh, with Nubil coming in, Nubil has been absolutely bloody awful since he signed for Bayern. Um, Ted's gone, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, when we went over uh, for at the match, at, well, it was only at the end of February, wasn't it? And I, I went to um, Cologne Schalke when you you were at Dortmund. Um, they all he, he made a dreadful ricket at the end of that, and, and they got panelled three 0 And they went across the Schalke fans in the corner uh, to uh, take the applause and and what have you. And uh, all the Schalke fans just chanted back, Nubel Aus, Nubel Aus. They're totally really? fed, fed up with him. I mean, you know, Leon Goretzka's thinking, well, oh, I thought I had it bad. I've tried yeah. signed for Bayern in the January. But, but no, he did know. have it bad as well. He was literally crying at one point. So he did also have it bad. Yeah, he, he was. He's, he's probably there with shades on though in his front room yeah. thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm over that now. But I, I think... The, the, the idea that Nubel could effectively replace Neuer is nonsense. I mean, there, there was talk at the time that um, Bayern had said, well, you can have the cup games, you know, so you're not going to not play. So, you know, you, you'll you'll get the DFB Pokal games. But Neuer is not a guy who's going to want to rest for anything, really. So that's a difficult sell to him. So that's almost a bad start to the negotiations. Then there's the fact that um, they want to give him a two-year extension. He wants four. He wants a lot more money than they're prepared to offer. 
and we've seen with this is the difference between Neuer's situation and Tostegan's situation because we've seen with Bayern before with Tony Kroos for example they've said well look we've got a top bracket of massively paid players and we can't afford any more so you're not in it cheerio and 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 that was that they made their decision whereas with Tostegan and with the way that Barcelona negotiate contracts the, the whole problem for them at the moment and the whole reason they needed that 70% cut is because um, players have been able to negotiate up with Bartomeu publicly and you've seen that with players like uh, Sergio Busquets for example who've been getting paid far more than an equivalent player would be getting paid at Real Madrid and Tostegan knows He's massively important to them. He's arguably their most important player, apart from Messi. He certainly has been over the last couple of years. Now, from what I gather, his desire is to stay at Barcelona. But he's not mm. going to be mugged off after he's seen all his mates get massive contracts. They mm. are not going to be in that situation like uh, Kroos was at Bayern. And do you know what? Barcelona, I think they realise that there is a deal to be done here. They also realise that it's going to be absolutely heinously expensive in an environment that's not really conducive to that. And Tostegan can just stand there and go, look, maybe he's using Bayern as a bit of a bogeyman. That's what I suspect. But he he can say, look, I'm the best goalkeeper in the world, or near as damn it, I'm the best goalkeeper in the world for Barcelona, certainly. How are you going to replace me? Yeah, you can do a bit of a uh, do what uh, Thomas Muller did to Bayern with Man United. Yeah, you know, the, the monster under the bed. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash Ramble. Andy, let's let's um let's stay in Germany then, um, and get get a bit of an update from there. There's been a delay to the restart of the league, um, with this week's meeting between clubs from the two top leagues pushed back to April 23rd. Now we covered last week that um some players have been back in training following the protocols, and 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 not only is German football optimistic, football can come back in some form or some capacity soon. It actually probably needs to for the financial health of the league, unless there's going to be some kind of rescue package. Now we understand that's not the main thing because the main thing is the health and safety of all the people living in Germany and beyond, but um, they're desperate for it to come back. As I said, the the, meeting has been pushed back again. It now looks like the final week of May at the earliest for German football now, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it does. We're looking at 23rd or 30th of, of May because all the teams want um, three weeks full training. Uh, that's full training, not in groups of five, mm. um, be- before they come back, which is which is reasonable. Um, I, th- I think to err on the side of caution is eminently sensible. and I don't really see a, a, a problem with that. There's a, there's a will to to get things done uh that is clear and i part of that we've sort of seen in the last week because um while you know you, you think a lot of managers might be let off the hook or or, or whatever herter have actually replaced their coach while we're on hiatus yeah i saw that it was, it was crazy because, I mean, I mean, when we were in um, Germany at the back end of February, as you already mentioned, um, we saw um, we saw Hertha, didn't we? We saw Alex Nuri managing Hertha. And mm. um, I was quite impressed with it. I mean, I know, I know his record's not that good. I know he's not really ever won anything. But on the other hand, he is only, I think, 40. And I was quite impressed with the way he handled himself. And uh, particularly uh, on the touchline and um, for them to battle back in that game was really impressive. And he was good in the press conference afterwards. I know he's not the most like, exciting coach in the world, but you would expect him to come again somewhere else. But what do you make of her to um, hiring uh, Bruno Labadia, the ex, is he the ex Werder Bremen? Um, no. Ex-Ferder uh, Bremen player. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, Ex-Ferder Bremen player. He, I, I, I don't have it in front of me. I was, I was just trying to go off the dome piece there. He's managed a lot of clubs, but anyway, he doesn't seem to stay anywhere very long. That's probably why I got a bit confused. He's never won anything as a coach. And so, so what attracted her to, to him, a club with, as we've talked about over and over again, their ambition and, and potential funding as well? Why have they gone after him? Well, it, well it's interesting because... Um, 
Alex Newbel after they'd got rid of uh, Alex Newbel. Sorry, um, uh, not him again. <laughs> Alex Nuri, after they got rid of him, said, "Well, I, I understand uh, the the club's position. I feel pretty confident that we would have um, escaped relegation. That I would have been able to lead the club away from relegation." And you look at the table and you think, "Well, you're six points clear of the." Of, of the last playoff spot of, of the, the playoff spot, sorry, relegation playoff spot. I should bloody hope so, especially with the squad you've, you've got. Mm. But him saying that I think is a reaction to Labadia getting the job because Labadia is a bloke you bring in when you're trying to avoid relegation. Right. He's like a, so, he's like a big Sam, is he? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's okay. totally, totally. He's, he's, he's a total firefighter, or at least he's been typecast as that. Now, he's someone who I think has a lot more to, to offer than that because, you know, you go back like 10 years when um, Hamburg got rid of him and they were in seventh place in the division. It was due to a disagreement over transfers, but they looked so stupid afterwards because, of course, they struggled for years and years and years before eventually... Um, dropping out of the, the the top flight for the first time, so they had to get rid of that clock that was on there. Saying, yeah, you know, I remember, yeah, you know, you know, the one that Danny Kelly rung them up and tried to buy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't it? Is it in the National Football Museum now? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. I mean, they Did they we see it. They, they reset it to naught. Then they didn't get promoted at the first attempt. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so they had to like sort of shunt it to, to to one side. I don't know if they're going to start it from zero if and when they they finally get um, promoted. Um, but you know, he was someone who I think sometimes with Labadee, you see that his work is really good after he's stepped away. Like Stuttgart got a lot worse after he left as as, as well. So um, by the by the time he got um, back to Hamburg, that you know they were really entrenched in a, in a in a culture of failure. But still, then he managed to get them into one mid-table finish um, in in amongst that. Mm. I think he did a really really good job at Wolfsburg last season. Um, bit, 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 but if you're if you're a Hertha fan and, you, and you're reading all these headlines about um, money and investment and, you know, obviously the Klinsman thing, which has now gone all right, are you happy that the, the new this is the new coach? I think you think first things first. I, I think let's you think let's not be so arrogant to think that we're not going to get relegated. I, I think that's a, a huge part of it. I mean, we saw... Fortuna Dusseldorf, as you were saying, at first hand. And they played some really good football in that. I think they have some the better players than people thought that they had at the, the start of the season. Of course, they've um, used their connections to bring in like Valon Berisha, who I think is a very good loan signing in the, in the meantime. Yeah. Hertha are not only not safe, I think they've got a squad that's not ideally built to battle relegation as well. Mm. So... They've got to be very careful. And as I say, I think Labadier's work, especially at Wolfsburg last season, suggests that he can he, he can actually go on and progress a club. I, I think his reputation of being simply a relegation firefighter is harsh. But the thing is, it's going to be a real gamble. It's tough for him. He's not going to get any time to work with the players meaningfully between now and whenever. Um, no one knows what the um, completion of the season is going to look like. I, I wonder if we're going to see... Um, teams and players use this break now almost as the mid-season break and then we're going to see 
this season finished and then go straight through to next season with a reduction yeah. in things like yeah. replays or second legs or whatever in Europe and all that kind of stuff to get us all the way through. And then, of course, we've got a tournament next summer. So it might well be a – well, in fact, it will be a gigantic challenge for him because he's not going to get any time with the players in the interim period. He's going to have to hit the ground running as soon as possible. And that's really, really difficult. But that's that's how Herter have actually sold this, actually. They, they, they've said, well, look, we wanted to... They've sold it, but it'll be really hard to come and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no they, they've, they've sold it as we think we're probably okay from relegation and we want to give Labadia time to bed in before next season happens, which... <laughs> You know, if Herter weren't Herter, I think it would be right. a lot more palatable as, as as an argument. But it but it has been tough this season. Look, they they should have enough quality to get away. And you know, we, we saw in the second half of that that Fortuna Düsseldorf game. There's there's enough chip in the team to battle through some really difficult situations as well. But that's their idea to let the new coach bed in rather than. I think that's the argument. If there's going to be no real gap between the end of. Um, 1920 and 2021 if we're talking about what two three three weeks gap or something like that has been suggested Mm. as has been suggested in france for example um then i I think there's your argument because you're not going to get any time to work then so let's do it now ramsey taglia quadrado bene vicino a rezza altra parte ronaldo con spazio quadrado subito dentro ronaldo segna la juve con cristiano ronaldo Okay, back in France, erstwhile Lyon head of uh, scouting slash recruitment, Florian Maurice, has reportedly agreed a move to Rennes. It's something of a surprise move, uh, but perhaps he felt his position was untenable since he was passed over for the director of football job in favour of Giannino. Andy, um, why has he gone to Rennes and why now, particularly given that he had an offer to join Spurs, I believe, which he turned down after Jean-Michel Olas gave him a pay rise and convinced him to stay? And what are the credentials of Florian Maurice, aside from the fact that he, in my memory, was a forward in the 90s that didn't score many goals? Well, he's got a lot of goals for Leon. He, he Did was, he? Yeah. He was he was really loved there. Right, you um, answer the question. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> it's one of those rare occasions where I think you might be wrong, and I'm right. So carry okay, on. You, you go for it. You go for it. Um, he is um, a player who, uh, as a player, as uh, he was really popular at Leon. Uh, so that certainly helped when he was being integrated into the staff. It got him supporter approval. Um, but in terms of what he's doing now. Um, yeah, the, the arrival of Janino, you're right to point out, is is, is absolutely key because um, he was almost working like a de facto director of football. Um, so to have someone, for, and, and for a long time as well, because he's, he's, he's been um, the head of recruitment at Leon since, what, late 2009. So um, for him to be not just passed over, passed over by an absolute club legend, arguably the most influential player in, in, in Leon's history. And, but a, a guy with no experience uh, uh, in that job, uh, even if he's done the, the, the correct qualifications, um, is, is, is something that I think you would have your nose put out of joint about. And also... Yeah, when I read the story, I thought it was kind of fair enough. I understood that position. I, I'm just convinced as to why he's gone to Rennes. That's just, I'm just confused as to why he's gone to Rennes. It's weird. I, I think it's pretty logical, actually, because you look at what's um, going on at Spurs, it looks 
like a massive job. It looks like a lot of expectation. It looks unstable. Um, of course, he wouldn't be welcomed in quite the same way because the Spurs fans out there would be hoping for Luis Campos instead yeah. uh, to, to, to have come from Lille. Um, whereas I think if if you look at Ren, um, he's got they've they've got a, a new president in situ as well after they got rid of Olivier Letton. Um, they've got um, money um, because the Pinot family are, are really rich, even though they've not just poured endless buckets into to Ren. You've got Ren in a position at the moment in the hiatus where they're in third place, and so they could qualify for the Champions League. And the key thing is is being given the the, the um, director of football role. That is yeah. so so important. So he's he's been given that. And you've you've got. I think if you're him, you feel you're going to go in and have influence at an ambitious club. And yeah, Ren is a step down from Leon in terms of dimension of club, but you're going to get um, influence and you're going to get acknowledgement for for your work, which maybe he he thinks that he didn't get, which I, I think would be really unfair. I mean, if you look at some of the players that he spun into big money, and it's not just. You know, the ones that have come out of the academy that they've sold, the likes of Toliso, Lacazette. You know, he, he bought Ndombele and sold him for six times the price um, a couple of years later. That, that alone would rule him out from being welcome to Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Perhaps. I'm the guy who sold you this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right on point there. Um, and, and then you look at like the, the likes of Furlan Mendy. We were talking about Herta before, Luca Toussaint. He, he bought for a little bit and, and, and sold for an absolute fortune, even though Toussaint had been almost... Um, cut off a bit by Janino because Janino had said at the start of the season, look, we want a player in that position who can be better on the ball. And I think when we're talking about Tussar as well, we have to talk about Bruno Gimelech, a player who had started to transform Leon um, in the last month or so before the um, before the break. He'd been brilliant. He was amazing against Juventus in, in that first leg. He'd been really, really good in the league games, um, despite really having no breather, no time to, to get used to France. And that was Juninho signing. Bruno Gimelech was very public about saying, of course, Atletico Madrid had an option on him. And Juninho convinced him to come. And so at that point, if you're Florian Maurice, you're thinking, oh, what am I actually doing here? You know, yeah. is there any use for me here? And that is maybe the bit that that, that pushes him over the edge. But it's interesting because um, Leon are obviously lining up potential replacements. It seems as if the leading candidate is uh, Bruno Sheru, formerly of uh, Liverpool, of course. The next in the Deans are down, Liverpool fans will remember. <laughs> yeah, they will. Well, of course, Gerard Ullier, who signed him for Liverpool, will have a hand in this because he is um, an advisor to Jean-Michel Olas, the, the, the president of Lyon. And um, Bruno Cheru has been the, um, the, the, the director of football for the Paris Saint-Germain women's team since uh, earlier this season. And he's got an incredible network as well. I mean, he's been retired since 2012. He's, he's, he's been a pundit on the telly, but he's always been someone who's sought to get ahead, got loads of really good connections. And in fact, it seems that he had a minor role because of his connections in England of getting both uh, Memphis Depay and Bertrand Traore to, to Lyon. So there's already okay. this kind of connection between Cheru and, uh, and Lyon, although he's not the only one in the mix. All right. So in summary then, Florian Maurice was outscored by Janino 
on the pitch at Lyon, outmaneuvered by him in the boardroom, and so he's moved somewhere else for a fresh start where he can have a bit of influence. And uh, for those of you who are interested in me doing minor point scoring on this show, 44 goals for Maurice uh, in six years at Lyon. I'm not sure that's a lot of goals. Uh, let's let's be absolutely clear on that, Andy. If your standards are that low, and and, it's, and listen, maybe they are, and that's why you're doing this show. <laughs> that, that is not a huge amount of goals. Is that fair? <laughs> It's, it's, it's decent. You've got to take into account what sort of player he was. All right, fair enough. All right, fair enough. Um, another story in France, um, probably worthy of our attention, uh, relates again, as we talked about in Germany, to the return of football itself. Dates being mute, uh, mooted for a possible restart are the 3rd or 17th of June. Now, that's by the by. We expect that to change. There's all sorts of things can happen between now and then. And we're trying to give you guys the most recent news as we, as we know it. But the key part of the story in France, for me at least, Andy, is that ultras in France appear to already be uniting behind um, opposing behind closed doors games. Now, I think this is going to be a real issue for the ultra culture and for fans, particularly in Europe, because I don't think it's sunk in yet how much this virus is going to change the world and how much it's going to change um, mass gatherings and big events, including sporting ones. I think ultras um, are going to have to understand pretty quickly as well that behind closed door games are going to be better than nothing. And for, for the survival of clubs that they support, they're going to have to happen. We're going to have to wait a long time, I think, for full stadiums again uh, and people need to get used to it. Is, is that fair? And are they wide of the mark here and a little bit insensitive with this with this stuff? Um, maybe. Uh, I mean, um, one of the um, uh, the Montpellier ultras, and there's a whole group of ultras from different clubs that have got together in, in, in France to underline their opposition to games behind closed doors. Um, uh, one, one of the Montpellier ultras said, um, look, it's, it's, it's not normal that we're going to play again before people can go to the the stadium and if they want to restart it's 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 not for points it's for money but but yes of course it's for money the money the club need money to keep going yeah and you know there needs to be an acknowledgement of that i think um but it it is a difficulty because you look at you know the sort of clubs where they're actually rival ultras in some cases that have got together, you know, that is um, from Paris Saint-Germain, from St. Etienne, from Bordeaux, from Lens, from Nantes. And I think it, it, this taps into what was happening earlier in the season that we were talking about, that ultras all over Europe, not just in France, feel that their culture is under attack. So you had that with uh, like the, the crackdown on homophobic chanting in France. Then you had it in Italy, as, as well and it's we've talked about this before i i find it quite abhorrent personally that that sense of you know i have the right to be offensive when i'm in the stadium that is my right that is my freedom i'm not on board with that at all no. but in terms of um <clears throat> the potential friction that this could create this is an issue and i think it's something that always has to be uh, borne in mind when you're talking about starting games again behind closed doors. It could be an issue in terms of, and we saw it at Paris Saint-Germain, Borussia Mönchengladbach, you would like to think that now we're a bit further down the road, that people understand, that people um, say, right, okay, this is dangerous to public health if we turn up outside the stadium and hang about a couple of thousand of us. But, But do we really believe 
everyone and all ultra groups are understanding of that. I'm not convinced. No, I don't think they are. And I think the whole thing is <clears throat> a bit tone deaf, really. I understand, I am sympathetic to the idea that long-term government overreach and um, powers that are used, that are needed to be used among this pandemic to, to protect the health of, of citizens mm. um, at the moment could be used in nefarious ways longer term, particularly around the um, monitoring and surveillance of, of citizens and also against you know, mass gatherings. And because obviously it's not a huge stretch to, to, to think that that could cross over to, to peaceful protest and, and all that type of stuff. But at the moment, this is really a, a case of survival for football clubs. Their product's not being um, essential. I know this is a horrible way of putting it, but it really does need to be put in these terms for, for this issue. If their product's not being able to be sold, they can't survive. Mm. So that has to be the most important thing. I, I think that I understand that the, 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 the ultra culture and that these, these people love their club more than anything else, and I get that. But unfortunately, what's most important at the moment is playing football in order to preserve these clubs for generations to come. So these ultras children, their grandchildren can also be as passionate about their club as they are. And exactly that, that exactly. needs to be, that needs to be a real tone shift in, in, in people's thinking to say, look, this is not ideal, but it's not going to be forever. Will you, what, you, what they need to put to the heads of these ultra groups, if it, if it goes the way that we're talking about is, will you take three months or whatever it is, six months even of behind closed doors games to preserve this club for the, the foreseeable future? Because that's the stark choice you've got. It's up to you. Yeah, and if it's, you're not going to play, not, you're not going to play along. Then it's going to be really, really difficult. And it's it's not it's not just about the, the clubs making their money for the sake of making money. It's about all the people that work in football. So the 56,000 in Germany, the, um, I, yeah. think, I think 70, 80,000 in, in, in Spain, the people who are not highly paid, who work for the clubs um, in their stadiums, in their offices, all those people who, uh, and if, if you look at the people who are indirectly um, paid by football, so the, the caterers that come in for match days, all those other stuff, we're not talking about the mega rich here. We're talking about the, you know, the, the, the people who make their living from, from football, who are just normal working people. They're the ones who football needs to think of as well, and hopefully Absolutely. is thinking of. Yeah, absolutely. We hope. I hope that it does get resolved in a um, in a, in a peaceful way and in a, in a sensible way. Um, and and I, I completely agree with you. One thing we don't need as well is if the games do go ahead behind closed doors amid protests from ultra groups, then we have ultra groups gathering in huge um, numbers outside stadiums and travelling anyway and all that stuff because that's going to defeat the object and also going to involve using a lot more resources and a lot more money that could be spent better elsewhere, to be frank. And, and, and people need to understand, although we make football shows here, this is bigger than football. Football plays its part in it and football becomes relevant to us because we make shows about football and because we all love football. But this is far bigger than football. And so I think it would be it would be a healthy dose of, 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 of realism that's needed here to, to, to make people understand that. All right, great. So let's uh, wrap up there, Andy. Thank you very much indeed for joining me today. Thank you to everyone listening as well. Um, a quick reminder that then you can leave a review for us on on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, drop us a nice review. Tell us uh, that you love us, uh, not just because we're needy. I mean, we are needy, but it also helps <laughs> other listeners to find us. Patreon.com forward slash Football Ramble Daily is your destination for all the extra content you might need, particularly around now when there's not an awful lot to go out and do. 
Um, like I said earlier, seven pieces of Patreon exclusive content since the start of this month alone. The second part of our 21st century Premier League 11 will be dropping very soon. There's lots more to come to. Uh, just ten, uh, $10 a month um, for, for all that stuff. Uh, and there's a lower $5 tier as well if you are, if you are looking for that. Patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Stick around uh, tomorrow because there will be a preview show uh, as ever, uh, including, a game, including um, uh, an edition of the game, The Masked Winger and all that other fun stuff that you know and love. And then Saturday is the Blizzard with Marcus and Jonathan, which is always, for me at least, must-listen audio too. Andy, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, thank you, Luke. And um, just because we didn't get to it, uh, well done to Cristiano Ronaldo for winning a Euro off uh, Nacional's youth team keeper, Felipe Gon- uh, Gonçalves, in a crossbar challenge. Oh, that was the video. Is there a video where um, that keeper absolutely shit himself when he saw Ronaldo turn up? (laughs) So he basically intimidated him by not telling him he was coming and he got so scared that he beat him. It was the day before his 18th birthday. And I I believe Ronaldo did accept the Euro, although apparently he's very impressed by the fact that he paid up. Yeah, and then he probably chucked it in a river. Um, <laughs> yeah, good point. It's a, really, it's a really nice story. Maybe we'll try and share that on the uh, on the social media, which is at Football Ramble on Twitter and at Football Ramble Daily on Insta. Okay, that's all the admin done. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Hope you found that enjoyable. Uh, don't forget to check us out uh, later in the week and uh, over on Patreon and all that good stuff as well. And we'll see you next time. This was a Stakhanov production. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.